Hey family, welcome to the Kinship Collective. My name is Mark and we are ending otherness together. We are celebrating and sharing our stories together, reimagining scripture together in ways that lead us to have loving hearts that serve those around us. Welcome to the conversation. Before we get into it, this week it'll be a reimagined episode, so it'll just be me sharing a little bit of history of the Christian to Christian tradition and looking at where our faith story starts. Before we get there, I want to remind you that you can join our reimagined cohort. It starts this Thursday. Click on the link in the show notes and you can find out more about what that looks like. It's a kind of 30,000 foot view of the Old Testament, really looking at the context of scripture in ways that have invited so many people back to cherishing and finding life in scripture again, in a way that is healing and holistic and filled with validation and love and affirmation. So that is that. Another thing that I wanna say is my mind and heart are not heavy or perplexed, but really thoughtful about what's happening in the Middle East right now. And I'm not super educated about what's going on, some of that history there, but some of the voices that have been speaking to that, our previous guest from the show, Mark Chase, has been writing some things about that. And our sister, Candice Benbow, has been writing some really thoughtful stuff about that. I think you should check out their voices, their perspectives on what is happening in Israel, uh, in Gaza, and, and with the people there. Really, all around the same idea of where does the story start? This is episode 70, and that's what we want to think about. Where does the story start? I'm going to talk specifically about my faith story. My faith story starts in Colton, California. I grew up in in San Bernardino, but Colton was the faith community that my mom really planted our family around. She found the church where she felt like God was inviting her to participate and literally found a home that was in proximity to that church and built our family rhythms and life around the rhythms and life of that church. And even though this church was, I would say, evangelical, pretty uh, standard kind of conservative, it was Pentecostal, it was probably like 45% Hispanic, 50% 50% white and maybe 5% black and, and uh, different kind of ethnic groups. The reason I mentioned some of, of that background is that the message that I heard always kind of started that you are broken, you're missing something, kind of that God-sized hole in your heart and God can fix you. But a lot of the language about who I was And what it meant to be human was around brokenness. I resonated with this. This this spoke to me because I felt a certain woundedness around my family dynamics, feeling the absence of my father at home and some of the ways that I felt rejected and inadequate because of the ways that 
he didn't keep his word and the ways that I just felt that absence and the ways that I internalized that message as a child. And I think that there are ways that we still do that today. There are ways and there are people groups and people who are very susceptible or for whom that kind of a gospel and message really speaks to. We all carry our different wounds with us, but I wouldn't say we are broken. And I think that that word brokenness is a, is a really common term about what it means to be human from the Christian perspective. And it's just not a word that I like or that I even use anymore. And every time I hear it, it kind of makes me uh, <laughs> want to throw up in my mouth because I don't think that is true to scripture or our tradition. And when I say that about brokenness, I want to be really clear because we all do carry wounds. We have, we, we, the, some of us are the adult children of alcoholics or other addicts. And there are ways that that reality in our family created who we are, our personality, the personas that we had to take on adapted to those stories and that narrative and the ways we interpreted those stories or those realities as children. As a child, there's a certain kind of developmental stage where you can't separate what is your fault and what's not. And so if your parents are fighting, it's your fault. And many of us carry that story with us. There are just ways that we have adapted and claimed identities or rehearsed and created identities and personalities we've adapted to the realities we experienced as children whether that was experiencing some sort of sexual trauma or physical abuse or verbal abuse or watching parental abuse or just plain old neglect and not feeling priority and some of this is how i would rationalize or speak to some of the ways that I would have once heard about generational curses in the church, there are ways that when a wounded parent is raising children, their wounds, their unaddressed, unhealed wounds will bleed out onto their children. There are just ways that a parent, for my story, my father's father wasn't there for him. And my father did much more for me than his father did for him. And the father figures that he had in his life around him were abusive. And my father never did that to me. And I have all the respect for him coming from where he came from. And yet I still didn't have the father figure that I needed. And I still internalized that a certain way as a child, as a person. And I, I want to be clear about that. And for me, my therapy journey and some of my coaching journey, looking backward and making meaning and looking forward and making setting intention and, and creating meaning is about that. And it stems from those places. And how do I create healing and how can I be a, a, a healing healer? or a wounded healer? How can my scars be my cicatrices as our sister um, talked about a couple episodes ago? Uh, Doctora Alma, how can they be signs of healing? And so that story though, the ways that the, the story, where does your story start? My personal faith story started in a certain place. And then 
my own identity story being formed around different wounds, there are ways that I was making meaning. And to me, this brings us to the point of scripture, speaking to brokenness, speaking to woundedness, where does the story start? Let's go all the way back to scripture when it's written, the emphasis of scripture, the intent of scripture, then we'll get into some more recent history and where some of this brokenness language, evil, um, some of that depravity language comes from and how we can deal with that. So scripture begins Genesis 1. I guess Genesis 1 comes from a certain place. The people of God have been following Yahweh in pillars by day, in clouds by day, in pillars of fire by night. They have left everything they know to pursue love and creativity and time and possibility. Things that weren't even known to human history before we see it in Abram's story. It wouldn't make sense for a human to leave their circle of community and comfort. And yet there is a man, Abraham, who is called away from that to a place that God is inspiring him to see. So he leaves that, which is unheard of. He, he begins to form a people and those people become people and they become a community, right? They become a people in Exodus and then they become a, a governed kind of community city kind of a thing in Leviticus there are these rules and boundaries that create community and protect community so those laws like the laws about tattoos and the ways you cut your hair and what you do and when you do it and why you do it and what you eat are all about saving creating a safe place to be so that we don't retaliate in the ways other communities retaliate to injustice or whatever they're designed to create safety and healing. So this people gets taken away uh, by the first, uh, by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and their main kind of story of who God is, is liberator. This is their story. This is what they carry with them. Our God is our liberator. Our God is with us. And they tell these stories orally to one another for generations. Now, they've built a city and a family, a tradition and a relationship to their God. And in the year 586, the Babylonians come in and destroy everything that they knew. They destroy the temple, the place where God dwells, and they destroy this, this way of being. But it's in 586 that the people begin to write their story down. And this is where Genesis 1 comes from. This is where this story comes from. Now, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are very different. Genesis 1 is a retelling of the Babylonian creation story with its main emphasis being our God is good and our God creates good and sees humans as very good. Our God would give rest to even slaves, revolutionary We'll talk about it another day. <laughs> Genesis 1 is a reimagining of a Babylonian creation story. 
Genesis 2, I would say, is this more Judeo-Christian intimate story of an intimate God who breathes God's very divinity into humanity, into the elements of earth, the cosmos, the dust, the stardust, and creates human life from dust and divinity. Creation is intimate. It is beautiful. It is divine and it is marked by divinity. We are made in the image of God. This is where the story begins. Genesis 1 and 2. Humans are good. This is very good. They are very good. And then God's essence is breathed into humanity, made in God's image and God's likeness. Not broken, not evil, not depraved, not prone towards evil, but good. This is kind of one of the key differences between evangelical kind of conservative Christianity and I would say progressive Christianity. One starts at that you are good. Progressive Christianity is progressing in the way that the scriptures progress towards more inclusion. The story of scriptures, the story of the spirit, more inclusion, more people are welcome. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's invited. Everyone. And we can't be who we are without everyone reflected and represented. This is the invitation. This is the trajectory of scripture. This is the progression of scripture, more inclusion. You are very good, made in the image of God. So we hear this story that we are not good, not good enough. Wound, it's not about being wounded. It's just literally like fundamentally broken. Well, that feels unbiblical. Paul is making sense of scripture and he starts to write certain things and Romans and even his progression, his trajectory in his writings are more inclusive, more nuanced as they go on. As he matures, his writing matures. Well, in 1741, Jonathan Edwards right, has this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan is one of many kind of guys that are packing people in these tents and creating a narrative in the United States. Why does this story work, by the way? I just imagine there's such a collective guilt about the ways that evils that Americans at this point have done to the natives, the indigenous folks on the land. There is a guilt and a, an internalized guilt and shame about what they are doing to black bodies, African bodies, Caribbean bodies. So that message resonates with that guilt. You are evil. Oh, maybe that's why I feel this guilt. This is where some of this language we get in American kind of Christianity today, evangelicalism or whatever the heck you want to call it. To me, I call it American. It's, it's distinctly Western. It's distinctly kind of American. And we've even like brought it back to Africa, we're seeing some of the, the same kind of language. I'm thinking about some of the laws against our LGBTQI plus brothers and sisters out in 
there that were formed because of this kind of theology that was started here that is less than a few hundred years old. But the scripture, the story of scripture goes back to say, you are good and to be human is to be good. And you are made in the image of God, no matter who you're attracted to, no matter what you've done, no matter what your ethnic background is, no matter what your gender is or isn't, you are good and God loves you and you're favored. This is the story of scripture. This is, uh, there's, there's a word that comes to mind as the hermeneutic. What kind of hermeneutic? Hermeneutic means what lens, what interpretive lens am I putting on when I'm making meaning from scripture? And I would encourage us, I think one of the most beautiful hermeneutics we can have is a hermeneutic of curiosity. Huh, where did this come from? How old is this belief? Who said it first? Why did they say it? Does this belief conserve power for a certain group of people? Who does this belief most benefit? And I would encourage you to think about that. I think about some in, in a seminary, we think about the hermeneutic of Jesus. Even that sometimes can be, you know, all this stuff can be, it's, it's storytelling and, and you can make, you can slice it. It's, it's, it's like an accountant. You can make it mean what you want it to mean. And there are plenty of people throughout history, right? But I think about Jesus saying like the least of these, this is who I'm here for. Who has the least amount of rights, the least amount of power, the least amount of access. Does this interpretation of scripture elevate them? Does it remind you that every human is good and made in the image of God? Or does it not? Does it conserve power for those who already have access to power and wealth and opportunity? We can cherish ourselves. We can have more compassion. We can be in line with the progression of scripture, the opening, ever-widening, ever-inclusive trajectory of the story of Scripture with a hermeneutic of curiosity, remembering that we are good, that every human is good, that we are not broken, that there are generational wounds that have been kind of transferred, that have been parented into us, that have been not, that have been absently kind of parented into us, that we've internalized through our experiences. But man, when we, when we put on that hermeneutic of curiosity, we can cherish ourselves. The places in us that we haven't been able to reconcile, we can hold grace and compassion for that. We can be truer to ourselves, have a sense of integrity. Not that we behave differently in one place or another, but that we can be structurally sound and settled within ourselves more. This scripture can be truer by maintaining that hermeneutic of curiosity. So I guess I'll end with that question. Where does your story start? All the love and all the respect. Peace. Yeah, everybody